welcome back to the Redbeard Outdoors podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today with me, Jonathan, your host. And today we're going to talk a little bit more about my elk hunting experience this first year and uh, what I learned during September. Uh, the This is the first year that I've gone. Last year I did with rifle. I didn't really dedicate a lot of time, but this year with a bow uh, has been very exciting, a lot of fun, and we're going to walk through that together. So along with that, I just wanted to welcome everyone who is new. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Go back and listen to the other two parts, and you'll understand a little bit more about the story here. And for those of you that are tuning in on a regular basis, thank you so much. I really do appreciate your support. It really means the world to me. I definitely appreciate that you tune in on a regular basis and are enjoying the messages that I'm putting out there and the stories that I'm telling. I know I can get a lot better at storytelling and that's what I'm working on. So thanks for coming along for the ride. Now, uh, as always, I just ask that you please uh, share this if you get something out of it, whether it be a joke that you enjoyed, that you laughed at my dad jokes or uh, something that you might have learned and experienced that maybe you agree with or that you've had as well. Uh, Whatever it may be, share it with others. I want to uh, spread this, the community, and and to build up uh, together, you know, have better lives, live more healthy, successful lives. So, thank you again for tuning in. Uh, if you want to shoot me a message, some feedback, or anything, go over to at red.beard.outdoors on Instagram and Facebook, and I also have a Red Beards Fit Crew on Facebook. If you want to join that, please uh, go over there and look it up. I'd be happy to have you as part of the community and we can talk a little bit more about my passion of health and fitness and how it can be simplified so that you don't have to be a gym rat or someone that enjoys the mountains like I do, but can still get the most out of your life. So with that said, uh, let's dive in. The last episode about my elk hunt and my first year bow hunting elk was days five through nine of my hunt. Uh, So today we'll start with day 10 and go through day 12. And this would be September 20th, 21st, and 22nd. And those were the last three days of the general season archery elk hunt in Utah. So starting on day 10 of the elk hunt, which was September 20th, uh, it was another day of no elk. Uh, it It was pretty rough. You know, Brent, we're coming off of a high because Brent had just, uh, he had just tagged out with his cow and got meat in the freezer, which is, uh, which was the goal. Obviously at near the end, um, you're wanting to have meat in the freezer, not just a big bull. And we hadn't seen any big bulls within archery range at that point. So it was a little rough, uh, for us going at that point. So anyway, uh, we had the morale was up because Brent had just tagged out with his, his cow. We helped him pack it out. But then it started to wane a little bit on day 10 or September 20th uh, because we just didn't see any fresh sign. We didn't see any actual elk and it got really frustrating. So that was the first night that I actually felt homesick. Now, I don't generally feel homesick. I don't I can't remember the last time I felt homesick. Even when I moved out from so I moved from North Carolina 
to Utah to go to college for a year before I served a mission, an LDS mission. I didn't feel homesick then. And I didn't feel homesick while I was on my mission in Mexico, a whole other country, for two years. So it was kind of strange for me to feel to feel homesick. And this was, I still had my friends. We were out hunting. Yeah, we'd separate during the day, but we'd come back in the evening. We'd start the day off together. So it was all a really good. So I want to talk about that a little bit because that's a real part of hunting. If you do, and this was, again, like I said, with me having friends around, and I love having my friends around, good company, ending the night with a good meal. Uh, some nights we were in Brent's trailer, and then other nights we were uh, at another camp. But it was still a camp where we came together. We had warm vehicles to sleep in. So we weren't doing backcountry stuff either. Uh, we didn't have any signal really. Uh, and so it was with the Garmin that I was communicating with my wife. So it had been text messages. Um, but it was still... It hit hard. I missed my kids. I missed my wife. And I didn't necessarily miss the commodities of being home, but I missed my family. And like I said, I I love my parents. I love my siblings. I didn't feel that way even for the two whole years that I was gone to a different country uh, serving an LDS mission. So it kind of surprised me. Uh, it was definitely a shock to my system. And I want to... to reiterate that. That's something that a lot of people don't think about. Even if, like I said, I've never had that experience where I genuinely felt homesick. I've never felt that before. And I felt that. So keep that in mind. If you're going to be going out for an extended period of time away from your family, loved ones, or whoever it may be that you might end up missing, make sure that that doesn't keep you from continuing because that's, that was a big temptation was like, you know, I can go home and fill the, you know, fill the cup of my family, fill my cup by seeing my family. And I'm not seeing any elk anyway. I haven't had any close encounters since, uh, I mean, really the first day that I was out there. And so it just was kind of grinding on me. Uh, luckily, I was able to find a little bit of signal and I was able to call my wife and talk to her for five minutes or so, not too long, because uh, the signal was weird. It was like going in and out. But I was able to speak with her a little bit, and she encouraged me, again, having an amazing, supportive, loving wife and kids that understood how passionate I am about this. Uh, she told me to stay out. She said, no, you've got just a couple more days. You're going to do it. And she had that confidence in me. So for me, that was that was a big deal. Especially because the next day, uh, Brent, Kyle, and Kenny were all leaving. And uh, it just, it, there were so many factors going into it. And anyone that's been out there hunting for an extended period of time will understand what I'm talking about. And so hopefully you have a plan or you have some loved ones who are very, very supportive like mine are. And they're able to encourage you to stay out there. And your drive, your willingness to be out there is strong enough for you not to want to come home, even though you've been cold, wet, and not had any real encounters for more than a week. Anyway, I've kind of went off on a, on a tangent there, but at the same time, I feel like not many people talk about that. Not many people discuss that side of hunting. So I, I just want to make that very abundantly clear that it's, a, it's definitely a factor, and you need to be prepared for it mentally. 
So after that, I went to bed and we had made plans for the next morning and I was pretty excited about those plans and to see what uh, what the idea or this new area was going to be um, that we went to. So the morning was pretty silent. Uh, we split up again into our different areas and I went to a spot where um, basically I sat down and it was it wasn't the wind wasn't bad. Um, but it was kind of the new growth. And so there were spots where you could see well, and there were other spots where you couldn't see so well. And so I just decided to sit and, and hopefully something would come out because I saw a bunch of sign, deer sign, elk sign. It wasn't necessarily fresh, but I know they had been in there at least within the last couple of weeks. And so I hung out there for a little bit. And uh, as I was getting ready to leave, I saw some brown coming through the trees, and I got really excited. Now, remember, I'd been sitting in this spot for probably, I don't know, 40 minutes, 30, 40 minutes. It always feels so much longer than that. Uh, luckily, there weren't any squirrels around, so I didn't have to deal with that mess. Uh, but I was I was pretty anxious to, I wanted to move. And that's a lot of the time how I feel when I'm out there is I want to move. If I'm not seeing anything, I want to go and go and go. When in reality, another good strategy is to find a spot that seems to be a high traffic area and sit and just wait. And that's how, again, Brent got his cow. They had sat down to have snacks and it was like 10, 15 minutes of them sitting there and the cow came out. So I got pretty excited seeing this this brown fur through the trees. And uh, at that point in the year, I didn't think that deer would still be brown in color. And so uh, I was thinking if it was brown, it's got to be an elk. And so I sat there, I actually knocked an arrow, or I had an arrow knocked, but I, I clipped on my release and I had it in my hand. I was ready to draw and out steps a doe with her fawn. And so I just sat there and I continued to be quiet because I thought it would be a cool experience. And they were within 10 yards of me and they just circled around me. And it was cool. What was cool for me is that I've always got this question and I'm sure if you've been out hunting at all, or even if you've been out just looking for animals, you understand the whole question of how in the world did they get around without making a sound, especially over this deadfall, which I had to climb over and I was crunching and snapping twigs and making all this noise and they move so silently, whether it be deer or elk, uh, the animals seem to move so quiet, even though they're most of the time bigger than a human being. And so it was cool to just watch. And I just sat there super still. And the mama was, she'd go out in front, she'd hop over a couple of the logs, and then she'd stop and she'd look around. And then the fawn was obviously a lot more clumsy and seemed a lot more like the way I go over deadfall and was tripping and kind of crackling some some uh, some sticks and leaves. But it was really cool. It was about a, I'd say maybe a five minute experience of where they were moving super slow, super cautious, and I was within 10 to 15 yards of these deer. And there were no other deer with them. It was just a mom and her, a doe and her fawn. But it was so cool, and I got that on video. I love going back and watching that, showing that to the kids, and it was just a great experience. So they they ended up trotting off, or not trotting off, but walking off, and uh, and once they got out of sight, 
I decided to move spots because obviously uh, there were no elk coming, just possibly some more deer. Decided to move to a completely different area. That was my plan C for the day. And somewhere that I just picked out on a map that looked like a good spot according to all the little checklist points that I make uh, for finding areas for elk during this time of year. And I was excited when I got there and there were no other trucks, no other razors. And that can always mean one of two things. Either you found a spot that no one wants to hike into or no one likes, or they've already come here and they realize there's no animals and they've left. I was hoping for the first. So I get out, I hike about a mile and a half in. And once I get in about a mile and a half, it gets to a point where you can't even get a four wheeler and it's just a walking trail. And so I start walking in, I get to this little creek area and I'd seen some elk sign. Uh, again, didn't look too fresh, but it was definitely elk, not deer. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to let out a, a locator bugle, which is just a, a typical bugle. Nothing crazy, nothing raspy, nothing aggressive about it. Just kind of a, hey, I'm here. Where are you at? Kind of communication. At least I imagine that's what's being said. Obviously, I don't speak elk. But I let that out and didn't hear anything for a second. So I just started walking. And then I hear this bull bugle. Now, I had heard some cow calls and some wimpy bugles up to this point. Most of them were silent, though, at this point. And so I didn't really have a, an awesome in-person, not YouTube <laughs> experience as to what an elk sounds like in person. And this sound, this bugle, shook me. Like, I felt like my chest was, was vibrating with how deep this bugle was. I could tell he was off in the distance a little bit on this other hillside that was that I was just about to get onto. But it was just deep, raspy, and there were chuckles. And I was super excited because, as I mentioned in previous podcasts about my elk hunt, uh, we had run into some hunters that were bugling, and that was cool. And But you can just tell when you hear the real thing versus a hunter – you just know it. You just feel it. And this was awesome. I was so excited. So I decided to let out another bugle to answer him. And I made it a little bit more aggressive because he was pretty aggressive right off the bat. And when I say aggressive, as in like deep, raspy with a few chuckles thrown in there. So I kind of mimicked him. But I'm, I made the, the, the fatal mistake of not moving. Now, if you're by yourself, now there's different setups. And obviously, I'm not as experienced as a lot of these people that have been hunting out for years and years. But the one key thing that you can do when you're calling by yourself, when you're the caller and the shooter, is to, when you call, you need to move. Because elk, somehow, just like all the other animals and all their senses that are heightened out there in the, in the wilderness... Uh, they can pinpoint, basically drop a pin where you bugled. And that's something that they do, I'm assuming, so that they know their territory, they know who's around, they can recognize where that last sound came from. So I thought I had some pretty good cover. I had a couple good shooting lanes from where I thought he would be coming from. And I let out a bugle, but I didn't move. 
And looking back on it, of course, I kind of beat myself up over that. But I sat there and there was nothing after that. No sound. So I'm looking, I'm looking. And within five minutes of that, of me bugling, I was just, again, looking through the trees, had my binoculars up so I can kind of see a little bit further into the trees. And I just see this massive, well, for me, massive. Uh, from what I could see, he was a five point. So not the biggest bull, but definitely bigger than the spike that I encountered that first day out. And he was through the trees and in this shooting lane that had branches going horizontal. And after that first experience, I didn't want to fling another arrow with things blocking where I wanted to hit the elk. So I just watched him. And man, he was, it was just awesome. I can't even put into words. I have this respect for, for elk. It, they're just majestic creatures. They're so elegant in the way that they dance over, like I said, the leaves and the deadfall and everything else and get and navigate their way through the woods. But those bulls, especially when they get to that more mature age, there's just something about them. They have that mane of dark brown before it goes into the light brown. And they have that just those antlers that are just swords on their heads that just, I, I can't even describe it. I can't even put it into words, but not a sound, not a peep. And he stood there and I want to say he was about 30, 35 yards. So well within my, my range of comfortability, but he was blocked with the trees and they're so smart. He knew exactly where to come. And so he was up just slightly up in elevation. If you're looking at a topographical map, he was just maybe one, uh, one level up from me and, and just 30 to 35 yards away through the trees. And so I just watched him and I watched him and he didn't run away, but he did put his nose up in the air, which obviously if they can't see anything, they want to smell, they want to use all their other senses. I was being extremely dead quiet but he stuck his nose up in the air and he must have caught a, a, a whiff of me, which probably wouldn't have been too hard to do because I hadn't showered in a few days at that point. Uh, but he caught something in the wind that he didn't like and he just turned around with his head up in the air and just walked off. No running, no spooking, no crashing through the trees. He just... Walk, turned around and walked off. Didn't like something that he smelled or saw or both or didn't see, but smelled, whatever. And, oh man, even though I didn't have an opportunity to, to fill my tag on that bull, it, it, that is burned into my memory. It was so awesome to be so close to such a nice bull. Again, he wasn't the biggest one. He's not a big old seven by seven or six by six, but he was big, at least for me. And it was just awesome to, to be that close and to know that even getting to see them and have that experience, like I knew they were there. I knew it had tested my knowledge. I knew what I would do better in the future, but I was able to soak up that, that moment and just watch him as he hovered there for a minute and then turned around and walked off. So after that, I didn't hear anything else. I went over to a wallow that I had originally picked out. Uh, and it was, it had been used, it was muddy, um, but, and it was beautiful clearing, it was like one of those things that you would 
see on a postcard with an elk where it was just beautiful it had aspens and a little creek running up past this wallow and then off to the side was this wallow that had obviously been used the brush was pushed down it was bedding everywhere i could tell that the elk were in this spot but uh nothing ended up coming in and so hiked back to the truck and uh ended up that night i actually ended up needing to go into town so i had quite a long drive went into town got some gas uh, just so that i could make sure i hit the trails good uh, the next day and had enough gas for that and then i went back to camp and that night i ended up back at camp with clint and lyle uh, so that we could do the morning hunt the next day which would be the last day of uh, of the of the elk hunt that year or this year sorry and so i ended up uh, getting able to being able to talk to to my wife and the kids for a minute and grabbed some gas, got a couple snacks, and then headed back to camp. And uh, I don't remember what time that was, but it was pretty late. So I got into camp and I just crashed in the truck and uh, went to sleep. So the very next day, I take that back. I didn't crash in the truck that night. I, um, I got to the camp pretty late and Clint and Lyle had told me what time to get up. And we talked for a little bit about this plan, and they had come across this area that they were getting in a bugle fest with multiple bulls, and I was just so excited. And I was like, are you sure it wasn't hunters? And they were like, oh, no, these were these were bulls. We saw them. They were all in this area. It gets pretty nasty, but there really wasn't anyone else in there, and it was just elk. And I said, oh, my goodness, I'm so excited about this. And so we got up the next morning and we got there well before light and started hiking in. It was just, it was picture perfect. The moon was up, so it was so bright. We didn't even need headlamps and the, the frost on the grass just reflected the moonlight and it just was, it was just gorgeous. I don't even know, like the sun wasn't even up yet and it was just a gorgeous, perfect, crisp morning and we start walking in. And we get about halfway to where we wanted to go and we saw or we heard these bugles and it was i want to say there were five bulls in there and i was just awestruck and at that moment i realized how excited it was how exciting it was to get in and hear without us even initiating anything just hearing the bugles got my blood pumping and super excited and it was in this little kind of a bowl and you could tell there was one that was that was a bull that was lower down raspy deep sounded just like the head honcho and above him uh was was one that had this kind of whistly like if i heard it by itself i probably would have thought it was a hunter uh it's kind of a wimpy bugle and then there was one that just had the typical normal bugle that you'd probably find on youtube and then there was one that only chuckled, no bugles with it, but he would do his chuckles. And it was just, it was awesome. I can't even, there's not even words to describe that either. Like you'd have to be there to understand how exciting that was. So we slowly crept our way in and then we divided up into those three. We kind of split the areas up. I was going up one ridge to the left. Clint and Lyle went to the right and they were going to split off. And Lyle is, uh, I can't even 
describe how amazing of a, a caller he was. And so I didn't even plan on using my call at all. I mean, obviously the, the elk were talking by themselves. And so we, we get up in there and, uh, and we're just listening to him. And I, I probably, I want to say I got within probably 300 yards, uh, 200, actually more probably like 200 looking at the terrain and thinking about it of the one raspy bull. And he just kept firing off. And I love it. I got I got it on video. Got, I get to listen to it over and over again, share it with my kids, which is an awesome experience as well. I never got to see him, though. And it seemed like I was getting pretty close, but I was also trying to make sure my wind was good and not make too much noise and not let myself be seen. And like I said, the grass was a little crunchy, so just trying to take it all a little slow and, and make sure that I got in there and uh, and was able to get to him. I was getting really excited. I was pretty sure that was going to be the moment that I got to punch my tag. Well, here roll up some trucks and, and these hunters hop out and they get to where we had that morning heard like earlier in the morning had heard them initially start bugling. And they got the hunters got to about that point where we had heard the bulls bugling. And I'm sure that they heard them just as well as we did. Uh, and they start doing these horrible, horrible cow calls. Like, it just sounded like it was like, meow, 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 meow. And they just wouldn't shut up. And it just blew me away that they thought that that was going to do something, that that was going to call the bulls in when we were being silent and they were going off all by themselves. So they were doing these annoying cow calls. And I noticed that the, the bugle started getting higher and higher and higher up the mountain. So they were moving up. And I don't know if it was their cows didn't like the sound of the, of the mews that were coming from these other hunters. If they saw something they didn't like, they smelled us, something happened, but they started moving up and up and up. And then they got silent. And that was about, I want to say it was about, I don't know, 9.30, 9, 9.30 when they went silent. And so I sat there for a little bit, probably, I think I want to say it was about an hour. And then uh, we got on the radios and just said, hey, we're going to back out. We don't want to push them too high up because uh, it gets pretty nasty and not just steep, but steep and deadfall and rocks, just everything nasty combined. And so we decided to back out uh, and we went and packed up camp because we'd be leaving that evening after the hunt. And... Once we packed up camp, uh, we decided to go back and we split up. And instead, we decided to go around kind of behind uh, a little bit higher up and drop down into the bowl, hoping to to push them more towards down into the bowl rather than coming from the bottom and going up because the way the wind was blowing, it would blow right into them and, and they'd blow out and they know we were in there. So we get up there and then we split up again into our, so we could cover more ground and uh, be more quiet because if you're three men that are walking through the woods, you're, you're going to see or hear something. But if you're one by yourself, you can kind of control a little bit better as to where you're stepping and in the movement. So we split up and I got to a spot kind of up higher that I could glass down into the bowl and I had a pretty good vantage point. And I sat there for a while and... Uh, and I ended up nodding off. I want to say this was around 
3 o'clock-ish. So well before sunset, well before we were expecting any activity. It was pretty hot that day, so we were pretty sure that the elk were just staying bedded, just chilling out, taking their naps. And I fell asleep, and I woke up to a sniffing sound. <laughs> right, And I was like, oh my goodness. Like I, I woke up and I got chills because I thought, again, my hopes up, it was an elk. Like they had to be on this ridge because I know that they were up in this bowl. And at that point, I was cool with, uh, with anything. I would have taken a cow or a bull, a spike, anything. I just wanted to go home with, with meat for the freezer. And great experiences, obviously. So I slowly grabbed my bow. And I already had my release on and my arrow knocked. And I kind of slowly turned my head, and it was too mature doe. And she was not even five feet away from me, sniffing me. Apparently, I was so quiet and so still taking my nap. I don't know how, because I'm pretty sure I was snoring, but whatever. Uh, she was trying to sniff me and figure out what the heck I was. Probably because I smelled so bad. But uh, anyway, I turn, and, and she's right there. And her, her buddy's just off to the side over there. And so that was cool. Again, another cool experience. I just turned on my, my camera and uh, was recording it because I guess I was moving slow enough that it didn't spook her, but they were a little wary about what I was. And so I just watched them a little bit and I even started saying, because it, it was more than five minutes that they were just hanging out around me. And I was, uh, I was just saying, hey, you know, tell your elk buddies to come up here, bring them over here. You know, I was actually starting to chat with them. It was pretty funny. And then they finally walked off and went their own way. And so uh, I was getting my bags packed and everything. And again, I looked through the trees and I see brown and some kind of heavier movement. And I was like, oh, now is the time. And I bring my bow up about to draw and these hunters walk out. And man, I was so, the look on my face probably told them everything they needed to know now this year for some reason youth rifle crossed over with archery and i had forgotten about that until i saw the two men were dressed in brown they weren't really wearing any orange and then the youth hunter was in decked out all in orange and so i I could have just walked away. I was super pissed at that point. I was like, man, they've blown it out now. And now I've got to deal with this rifle hunter in this area when I know that there's elk. And oh, I was so ticked. And I said, you know what? I'm going to make this a good experience. It's not going to ruin my day. So I walked over and decided to talk with them a little bit. And they were so sorry. They were apologetic, which I was like, honestly, like it's not that big of a deal. We're on public land. And I had gotten over my initial frustration. And so we were talking a little bit and they... They were just saying that they didn't even want to pack an animal out of here and that they were going to head out. And so I said, like, cool, whatever. So I started going down this face and it was super, super steep and making about halfway down. And again, I hear this crashing coming down the draw and I was so excited. I was like, oh, here we go. Here's my shot. Great opportunity. It's going to be super steep shot, but I'm going to be ready for it. It was within 40 yards. And so I set up and I'm just watching, watching. And then I see orange and I was... Oh, I was so mad. I don't know if these hunters were uh, dumb or clumsy or intentionally making a lot of noise. Uh, I don't know, but it was more noise than 
I think I've heard in a long time, other than people that are hiking. Uh, these these guys were just chatting away. It sounded like they were throwing things and like just making so much noise. And so I sat there and let them go by. And uh, and at that point, I want to say it was it was about an hour before sunset. No, it was 30 minutes before sunset, an hour before last shooter's light. And uh, and I just sat there and I was so ticked. And I just remember sitting there and, and then I finally said a prayer. And I just offered my prayer up. And, and I got this feeling that I needed to sit in the spot that I was in until shooter's light so shooter's light is around 30 minutes after sunset official sunset there's apps you can check and everything uh but i i got that distinct feeling and i just told i told myself no you're just getting yourself your your hopes up you're getting your hopes up i said no i'm, I'm gonna sit here until official sunset and if i don't hear or see anything i'm i'm gonna go ahead and head down because it gets pretty steep and nasty and i didn't want to deal with that at night and so I talked myself out of that feeling. Well, I started hearing these cow calls up the draw, up higher up on the mountain where I knew the elk had gone earlier that day. And I just, again, talked myself out of it saying, you know, I bet that's hunters. There's no way that's, that's an elk. Those are probably hunters. Don't get your hopes up. And then uh, sunset hit and I said, okay, well, I'm going to head down. So I start heading down the draw, cross over the draw, and I'm on the other side, kind of more in the middle of the bowl, and I start walking down, and off to the corner, off to my right, on that hillside that I was just sitting on, I just see this big brown body, and this was not a deer, this was big, and and I was like, but I didn't hear anything, again, this was a super steep hillside, with deadfall and broken branches and leaves. And it blew my mind. So there's no way. But it was, of course, an elk. And at that point, that hillside was about 70 yards away. A little past where I would be comfortable shooting. I told myself I wouldn't shoot past 60 yards. Which even then is kind of it's kind of a long shot uh, for a newbie hunter like me. And so I, I was really comfortable at anything under 60 um, and so I saw it kind of creeping across the hillside, heading in the exact direction where I had been sitting, the exact direction that I had been sitting. And at that point, I wasn't even thinking about earlier that, that evening I got up and I started hustling over and I was like, you know, it's, it's just before shooter's light. I need to get over there. And this is my last shot. This is my last opportunity for, for this hunt. And so I got up and ran over there, knocked an arrow, had my release, and got lined up to where this elk had, it was kind of trotting over to. And I was waiting for it to come out of the trees. And it was at 50, I want to say 56 or 54, somewhere around there. Uh, it was close to 50 yards, a little over 50 yards. I ranged it, gotten excited, and then it stopped. The elk stopped. I saw its head. I saw his antlers, but his body was completely covered by the one tree that was there. And I obviously, I, I knew I'd been making a lot of noise because 
I decided to just run to get over there because I this was kind of a Hail Mary at that point. And it, it just didn't pan out. He turned around, walked the other way. Walked out of my life forever. <laughs> so that was that was it. At that point, I just started heading back down towards the truck. And I was just re- kind of reflecting about that evening mainly and then eventually about the hunt. At that point, I had been hunting for 12 days, not consecutively, uh, the first couple days. And then I went home and then came back out for 10 more days. But that was such an amazing experience. And then I was, of course, beating myself up because I had gotten that impression and whether or not you're Christian or believe in God or coincidences or whatever it is. For me, I felt like I didn't listen to that impression of staying where I needed to be. Because if I had stayed in that spot until shooter's light, that elk would have walked out in front of me at maybe 15 yards. So, yeah. And that one's going to haunt me (laughs) until I punch this tag. So, I made it back to the truck. And let me just say... The amazing friend, when you surround yourself with people that are better than you, I came back to my truck and Lyle had already changed my tire. We had noticed that the my tire was running a little low uh, when we first pulled up. Obviously, to me, it was more important to get out and hunt rather than change the tire before getting out to hunt. And I knew I was going to have to change the tire in the dark. I got back and Lyle had already changed my tire. That dude is a saint. He's awesome. And... I challenge you guys to find friends that are like that, that will hunt hard and long days. And then when you get back to your truck, either are willing to help you change the tire or have already done it for you like Lyle did. I just thank you so much to that guy. He, he is an amazing dude, just a straight up stud. And so we reminisced a little bit, chatted a little bit, talked about our cool experiences and we decided uh, that we were just gonna we were gonna head back. Uh, we started heading heading home, and again, I was just reviewing in my mind. I was upset, obviously, that I didn't punch my tag by the end of the, the September season, but at the same time, I'd had plenty of good experiences and good memories, and I walked away with a lot of more a lot more knowledge in the field, knowledge stuff that you can't learn in a classroom, and I had I had cut my learning curve down quite significantly just by all the research that I'd done beforehand, all the map reading, learning stuff, uh, learning about elk hunting from Elk Shape, Elk Shape Camp, uh, and some of the other things that are provided to help you learn before you get into the field because some people uh, can only go out on the weekends and you have to, you have to do everything that you can within that weekend. Uh, I was blessed to have a supportive wife, family, friends that were all willing to to make this all come together and it was just an absolute blast those 12 days in September my hunt is not over and uh, I will be going more in depth into that uh, after it ends which is technically December 15th is the extended archery at this point I am up for anything elk whether that's a cow a bull spike, whatever. I just want to punch my tag. I am bound and determined to punch this tag. 
and I really want it to happen. I've been three for three on my tag so far uh, hunting this year, and I want to punch my elk tag, my first year bow hunting elk. So I guess we'll see what happens. I'll leave that hanging out there, and uh, hopefully you guys come back and listen in for, for the next part four of elk season for me my first year bow hunting elk. Uh, thank you so much again for everyone that's tuned in. Hopefully you enjoyed the story. I know, again, I'm, I'm getting better at storytelling. I'm working on it. Uh, please give me feedback. Shoot me a message over at red.beard.outdoors, Facebook or Instagram. Uh, also go join us if you're into health and fitness or you want to learn something about health, fitness, nutrition. Again, I'm not your expert but I do know enough to get you down the right path and heading in the right direction and how to simplify things so you don't feel like you need to to go and go all gym rat but that you can start down the right path of maybe losing weight gaining some muscle getting your nutrition right feeling better overall is the goal there uh, so go go over at Redbeard's Fit Crew on Facebook and yeah, if you got something out of this podcast, uh, please share it with your friends or family members. Just mention it, and I, I want to get this message out there that there's normal Joe, or me, John, and uh, I'm out here with a family, doing school, work, and uh, loving living my life and, and, and passion of being outdoors, whether it be hunting, hiking, camping, fishing with my family, fitting that all in. And yes, it's a crazy life and I wouldn't change a thing about it. So thanks again for tuning in today. Really appreciate it. Hope you all have an amazing rest of your day today being Sunday. And hopefully you got out this weekend. And if not, hopefully you have some plans to get out pretty soon now that the weather's cooling down and, and you can get out there and, and, uh, enjoy things without sweating like crazy. So anyway, with that, I'll leave you and thank you so much. And as always, get out, live your life, and love it.